You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Fox Hills Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment, and I can tell you that you'll want to listen on to find out what she has to say about when choosing a suburb to invest in, how you can narrow it down from over 8,000 to just 300. And that's just the start. I have a a huge criteria that I filter down to, Mm. but just to think, out of all of 250,000 to $1.2 million purchase price, over 8,500 suburbs, we start with less than 350. And then we get into the detail. There's, you know, there's people out there who who will start buying around the corner because they know the market, mm-hmm. or their oh, taxi driver tells them it's a good idea, or their financial planner tells mm. them they oh. should buy a property. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp, and we have a cracking Dumbo of the week coming up. Before we get started. Everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we pick the brains of Jane Slack-Smith, otherwise known as the Renault Queen. Jane is nothing if not multi-talented. She actually started her career as a mining engineer... (laughs) And she was one of the first women to enter the male domain of underground coal mining and went on to become an explosives expert. More recently, she's been repeatedly awarded Australian Mortgage Broker of the Year. So she's going to give you a run for your money there, Chris. She's Uh a director of Investors Choice Mortgages and founder of Your Property Success Online Education. Author of Your Property Success with Renovation, two properties, one renovation, $1 million in the bank pretty impressive, and co-host of the podcast, Your Property Success, which I have listened and devoured every episode of, I I will highly recommend you listening to. It's only a short series though, isn't it? Mm, Yeah, mm. a bit disappointed there, but anyway, it's all right, we've just stepped in where you left off. (laughs) Exactly. There's a great replacement. (laughs) (laughs) With the Your Property Success online education program, she's worked with thousands of students through the Ultimate Guide to Renovation course and Location Masterclass. Now, Jane regularly appears in magazines and in the media and is passionate about assisting everyday Australians crack the property market and welcome Jane. You really have done your research, haven't you? <laughs> I think I read your bio. <laughs> yeah, underground mining doesn't come up that often anymore. Uh, well, it came up in your podcast. That's the only reason uh, I know about it. There so. you go. <laughs> well, hopefully this interview is explosive then. For uh, oh, you'll get bang for your buck. That's oh, right. my God. Okay, guys. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Pleasure. And, uh, yes, it's our first Melbourne episode, so uh, we, we're very excited. You know, you do a, do a lot of work around property research and, mm. and helping people, educate people on property. Mm. What's some of the research that you love and what do you think is really important about doing your research? Uh, look, I love research, but I know a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. So I guess the thing is, you know, to some degree you really need to to work out what people need to get them over that hurdle of taking action. Mm-hmm. And doing it with confidence. And you get confidence when you have competence. And for some people, that's all about research. And for other people, it's about trusting the right person, like a buyer's agent, like mm-hmm. yourself, to you know assist them in, in that journey. And so for me, research is key. I was an engineer. I, mm-hmm. um, I you know, 
percent an explosives engineer risk assessment was very important to me <laughs> and hence uh, otherwise someone would lose a hand and uh, so I applied that to property buying when I first bought property so mm. essentially I went through the 15,655 suburbs in Australia. I looked at the ones that had outperformed the market over 20 years. I worked out the filters that they had in common. And then I just applied that to my buying. And I thought, mm, geez, I could share this with my mates. So I shared it with my friends and they bought properties and they went up in value. And I thought, I need more friends. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was as simple as that. And so look, what, that's interesting. So when did you do that original research? Around about, uh, it started around about 2000. Okay. And what you've learned over since then, because we're talking mm. about 20 years now. Oh, love it. Yeah. Has I mean, that kind of continued what you thought? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think back, when we first look, start looking at properties, you're up really early on Saturday morning and you're going through the paper and you're making your plan on your Gregory's or your Millways about where you're going to go and what time you're going to inspect properties. And now it's all online. You know, I can do 85% of all my research online. Just love it. And <laughs> and I'm always trying to find other people's um, research because I don't profess to be an expert in anything or everything. I just like being able to collate information in one place. So I read everyone's research reports. I look at everyone's data. I look at where the data comes from and then I just collate it in one place and uh, and, and start with a bigger picture and then start getting down to the finer points. I mean, that's one of the most important things you need to do if you're researching, right, is to keep on looking for more information and keep on trying to prove yourself wrong mm. because mm. you become very single-minded, I believe this, and then you mm. just look, confirmation bias kicks in and you just exactly. keep trying to find stuff that keeps proving what you know and you kind of get in your own bubble, I guess. Well, you'd see this. You talk to people who are buying, have got maybe one investment property and you're looking at the fact finder and you'll go, gee, you know, investment properties around the corner from your own home. Like, yeah, I was walking the dog. How lucky was I? And you're like, mm. oh, you know, why did you choose that that property in that suburb? I'm like, well, I know the suburb. I live there. I'm like, well, so what's the vacancy rate? What's the percentage of renters? What streets the renters want to live in? You know, all of these different questions. They go, well, I don't know it that well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally I got a call, well, text this morning and it was Chris, you know, we bought something. They're not a new client. They're not a new client. They're not actually a client yet. And you're right. It was actually in her suburb. It's because they they're renovating their house and they thought that they would want to buy something to live in yep. while they're oh, renovating. No, yep. I um, know. And so, you know, like we talked it all through this morning, and you know, etc. And whether it's the right thing to do or not. But you're right. Like mm. the elephant was kicking off there. It was easy. It's up the road. We know the know. area. It's, it's such a big market out there to just it think is, about where you're living. For me, location is key. Like. The answer to any question you have, I'll just say location, you yeah. know, because I think you can uh, you can be geographically agnostic where you buy and you can actually, you know, have there's markets within markets and, you know, you can have exposure to different markets. When one goes up, one goes down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just that novelty of, geez, I don't have to buy my own town mm-hmm. for some people is a great hurdle and it's yeah. a mindset thing and we just have to have that conversation and help people get over that. So you talk about location being everything, which I'll challenge actually as we get a bit further on. I think it's about 80% of what is important and it's absolutely fundamental that you get it right. But you also mentioned what goes up, you know, what might be going up at one point of time and something else might be going down and vice versa and you can smooth it all out. There's got to be certain fundamentals that you look in place for ongoing sustainable growth though, right? Is that is that something that's important to you or are you looking at riding waves? Yeah, it's time in the market. So exactly. It's not timing the market. And it's interesting. I listen to people, you know, like we all do, we listen to so many podcasts, we read so many books, we attend courses, we're, you know, looking at seminars because you don't learn something and 
stop learning and apply it and everything is fine. You know, you keep learning and, and I'm a curious, you know, life uh, long learner. Yeah. And so I look at the market and I'm in it for the long term. So when I listen to some people and they're like, oh, let's rush to Hobart because <laughs> Hobart's going to take off or Adelaide or Port Lincoln or Gladstone and, you know, and I know, you know we know um uh, buyers agents who have done this or property experts who have done this over the last three to four years and they're chasing the market and their fundamentals for that short-term gain are there but they then don't tell their audience or their community now it's time to get oh, out. I know it's one of my bugbears. And it's like yeah. hey guys you know, location if you want to you know it's like buying llamas you know <laughs> I buy a llama so I can sell it to you because mm. we think that llamas per pair cost $50,000 and there's a market for llamas but we're just proper pr- pr- uh, sorry we're just creating your own market for llamas yes. it doesn't yes. exist the yeah. llama fans. Yeah. So we can't milk a llama. So, yeah. you know, so it's just like I have these concerns. Yeah. So for, to answer your question, mm. I agree, 80% location. And uh, but the, for me it is the long term. And, I, I mean, I have a five-year plan for people that it will get them to their desired spot within 15 years. I don't think that you need to be an active investor. I don't think you need to have hundreds of properties, two well-placed properties, and then get on with life. Yeah. When you say you don't. I think you have to be an active investor, but you're also big Renault. You're a Renault I queen. Do. That's a very active investor. You know, there's a period, I think, within that five-year setting yourself up, five-year plan time frame, you know, for me, renovation was an absolute key to building my portfolio. So, yeah. you know, I created, I guess, what I thought was, you know, once again, going back to minimising risk, I wanted three ways to make money. So I wanted to know the area well enough and the market well enough to buy below the market. I wanted to be able to renovate, to be able to push up the equity quickly yep. and the rent so I can improve my cash flow. And then I wanted to be in a high growth area. So I had three ways of making money. So if mm-hmm. I stuffed one up, I was always going to have the other three. Now, in a fast moving market, you may not be able to buy below the market, mm-hmm. but you can always... <laughs> You know, mm. look for, and my strategy is around renovation and uh, to supercharge your plan. So, right, so it's leveraging it, really. Absolutely. Mm. And getting things done faster. Like there's no, there's definitely, you know, you have your home, your access equity, or you have a deposit, you buy a property now, you sit in a good growth area, in five years' time you have enough equity to buy the second property, then that's a great plan. And then in 15 years' time, those properties have gone up in value. You can sell down or pay off or whatever and your exit strategy is. But options. Yeah. But <laughs> if you if you um, create even a faster way of doing that, you can renovate and add equity sooner, you can get into that, that second property in maybe three years, which means that you have two properties in the market for longer and that's time in the market. So I'm not chasing short-term gains. I'm definitely a long-term value investor. Yeah, I think that's really important with with the renovation is, um, you know, if you have got the borrowing capacity there and you do do a small renovation, you can build equity, which allows you to build, you know, go and borrow and buy another one. The problem is a lot of with that is that now people are getting problems with their borrowing capacities. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even if they have got the equity, they can't even go and, you know, buy. So this, and I guess with the renovation as well is a lot of people think that if you can do it, then you kind of make 200 grand, then you sell and then you go buy another one and you just become this lifelong renovator. And do you think that works or do you feel like you've got to, you've got to potentially try to hold on and get the long-term growth? Uh, so you're saying should can people make money in flipping? Yes. Um, I think there's 
I have some concerns. I've always had concerns about flipping and a lot of flips flop. Mm. It's kind of like the fisherman. You only hear about all the, the gambler. You only hear <laughs> oh, about the good yeah. days. Mm. And and it concerns me that a lot of people don't know the numbers. And, I, I mean, I have a lot of students that um, do flips and they do flips well. And But there's you have to be even more focused on the numbers. And, and that, the cycle. And the cycle mm. and the pricing disparity between unrenovated and renovated. Yeah. And, you know, one of the worst calls you can have is someone say, I bought this property to renovate and and I'll look through all the data and there's no proof that there's any capacity oh. mm. between the renovated and unrenovated properties for them to add value. Yeah. And they've done it as a, I can only afford to hold this for six to eight months while yeah. I flip it. And I'm like, and then as you say, Monica, in, the, in a slowing market, you can lose it. But on the flip side, yep. you know, I've Pardon got, the pun. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've got, um, yeah, I've got uh, students um, in Perth who've weathered the storm because they've spent money on renovating their home or investment property, and we show, you know, how you can like add two to three dollars for every dollar you spend, and so their property is not in negative equity; it hasn't gone back in value. Their property is actually higher than it was before mm-hmm. the falls because the renovation has actually saved that their property. Yeah. So their loan obviously hasn't changed. So renovation is one of those strategies where you have to be very careful. You have to know the market. You have to know where you're buying. But the ability and the upside is fantastic. And, you know, one of the things that when I look at all of the people that, you know, all of the students' stories that we get yep. and, you know, there's some wonderful stories about, you know, I did a 15-day renovation and the value went up. I spent eight grand. The value went up by 60 grand or whatever. You know, yep. there's insane kind of stories mm-hmm. that people have. And then you have, you know, the the others who, you know, I've spent six months and spent 30 grand and, and you know, I've doubled my money. And, you know, so there's, there's a variety of how people do things. But always if they hold the property... It's the growth that actually gives them the biggest win. We're talking hundreds of thousands well, of, of dollars course, over years. Because it's the power of compounding. And it's also the simple fact is you've got this whopping great hurdle to get over mm. in order to make money on a flip, and that's stamp duty, mm-hmm. in and out costs. Yep, yep. You know, roughly about 8% in total. Well, actually more than 8% yeah. when you when you Well, selling when you're adding selling costs and then yeah, if it's yeah. not Holding your costs. home. Yeah, and yeah. then you've got uh, capital, you know, gains, capital tax gains tax. I had a client once that... His strategy was to buy and hold. He did this cleverest renovation. He bought him an apartment. It was in Dremoyne in Sydney. It was his first property. Agony getting in there because mm. he was <laughs> he was overanalyzed everything. Mm-hmm. We finally got in there with a great opportunity. It was a real Nana's apartment. The yep. bones were fabulous. So a really nice small development, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He then went and researched the hell out of doing the renovation, spent 17 grand, I remember, and I went and looked at it and it was like, phenomenal wow. what he had done for that money and yep, yep. he had absolutely made enormous gain. I can't remember the figures off the top of my head. But then he panicked because the market slowed down for a little bit mm. and he panicked and sold it. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, because he his gains were so eroded. Like he'd done mm. such a great job and it was all eroded if he just waited it out, you know, for God, he missed out in the entire last boom. Mm. He saw just beginning. Yeah, and I think when you're doing a renovation cost, don't get too excited. You talk about the fishermen there talking about all the good stories. Mm. I think what you've got to do there is you always got to minus off what would the property have done without a renovation. Yes. Mm. So if the property would have gone from a million to 1.3 mm-hmm. without a renovation mm. and then you renovated it and it's probably now worth 1.5, yep. well, really you've only added 200 grand because mm. you could have just made 300 grand doing nothing. Mm. Um, 
And then you've got to minus off all the costs. And the biggest thing I think with renovations is people don't put a value on their own time. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, oh, it only cost me 17 grand, but I spent 150 hours on it. <laughs> um, you know, you're going to put $200 an hour on your time or 100 bucks an hour. And I think some people don't really put that into the equation as well. Um, yeah. So. And, but I think also there's a huge opportunity for people. Like when I think about my first renovation I bought in 2001, did all the research on, you know, the suburbs to buy in and the streets to buy in, the type of property and the pricing disparity between renovated and unrenovated. And I only had 45 grand. So stamp duty took 25 grand. Mm. And then I had to take a personal loan of $50,000 to actually, now if you think about it, $50,000 in your credit card, not such a clever idea, or a personal loan. We're not recommending that at all. <coughs> not no. recommending that. Back in the old days. <laughs> and I didn't do it on the credit card. But even if you did pay for $50,000 for six months at 20% and, you know, at, and you're not talking about a large amount of money if there's an upside. So, you know, the cost of money, you have this conversation all the time, mm-hmm. Chris, with, with people about interest rates, you know. Um, so the cost of money and the opportunity is one thing. So I bought a $425,000 property in nine months. It went to $700,000 by spending $50,000. I paid back the loan. I paid back the, you know, little bit of interest on that, that ten grand. But I'd made, you know, over a hundred and seventy thousand dollars. And then had equity to go and buy again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the renovation um, allows people to take a small amount of money and then create a, an opportunity for them to leverage that. And even, I mean, I, I was speaking to uh, someone recently and she had a small amount of money and she couldn't, when we kind of looked at her borrowing capacity, she couldn't buy an investment property and with the cash that she had and what she wanted to do. And so she took that money, she renovated her home, add $3 for every dollar that she spent. There was a huge amount of equity there, pulled that equity out and then could afford the investment nice. property. I like that. Now, I think the part of the success of any renovation is going to be the, actually what property you buy in the first place. Mm-hmm. This is Quite separate from location, this little bit. Mm. <laughs> this is the extra 20%. Because not all properties that need renovating are good renovation opportunities. And, and Don't can deserve we it. Talk a bit about that. Oh, look, we've all looked at properties and gone, geez, this is a bit of a, you know, this could do with a bit of a tidy up. And, you know, I, I have different categories of type of renovations. You know, there's the, the kind of... Um, repair renovation when you're in there with a little toolbox and painting things yeah. and and then there's complete rejuvenation where you're new kitchen and bathroom there's the refresh where you're in there and you're like no one wants to touch it because of the fact that someone's been smoking and there's stains mm-hmm, on the ceiling mm-hmm. but it's elbow grease and it doesn't take a lot of work and then there's the revamp where you go back to your current portfolio and go what can I do to actually maximize this so there's different types of renovation I notice that there's no massive DA demolition um, addition well, in that <laughs> there is the restructure which does involve the uh, the the big because uh, you know we talk about the box on the back you know and using some commercial mm. techniques to build the back yep. of your property out. But you have to have the right type of property for that. And it does take so much time, you know, DAs and councils and things. But there are there are a number of types of renovations. But every property does not deserve to be renovated no. just because it's bad. And mm. that's that pricing disparity yep. that comes up again. So if it's worth $400,000, you spend forty grand on it. If the market says that the pri- properties that are renovated are selling for $440,000, 450000 
you're not making money. Exactly. You know, if they're selling at five forty, hold on, yeah, there could be a yeah. there could be a conversation to have. But there's also if if the house is in the wrong spot on the block, or oh. if the floor plan's crap, or if the <clears> bedrooms <throat> are too big and the living room's too small, or if, you know what I mean. There's those mm-hmm. sort of um, the orientation is totally garbage and you can't do anything about it, or you're really mm. overlooked. I mean, there's certain characteristics. Obviously, mm. you're going to be looking for and go. You know what? It doesn't matter if I throw the forty grand at it, even if there's a hundred grand equity to be made. Yeah. In this suburb, that house is always going to have this massive down- downside, and I can't fix that. Well, it's funny because I, I kind of have a, like a, a five framework to well, the foundation. We love a framework. I've got a framework. <laughs> I'll share with you my whole framework. But in mean, the first one. I've written down here just in case I did forget. (laughs) (laughs) I know, as I imprinted on my brain. (laughs) Set up the destination. So we're talking about that vision of what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, one of the things that I find really frustrating, sometimes we talk about people and we we buy into their vision. Like being a broker, you're really part of this lifetime journey of trying to find how you can assist someone to achieve their Uh goals. And they say, I want to get to this place when in 10 to 15 years. And when they know what they're trying to achieve, you can back calculate and help them work out how to do that. But when they don't know, it's like getting in the car and going, I'm on holidays, mm. let's find Ayers Rock. And you don't have a GPS. Mm. So, you know, having that plan in place is important. <laughs> so I kind of started. And what would you say? The majority have no idea? Um, you know, when I talk to people and say, what's your long-term goal? And they say, I want five properties. I'm thinking, you know, five properties in Lithgow and five properties in Turak, mm. different retirement yeah. plan. Yeah. So it's not about the properties. It's about what you want to achieve. It could be, you know, your passive income goals. I want to have a $50,000 passive income. It could be I want to work two days a week and be able to spend time with my kids or yeah. pay for my kids' wedding or travel. It's understanding what you're trying to achieve. Where do you think that number of properties comes from? Because you know, it's it's like we're mm. all very impressed mm. when someone I'm says, not, "Just quietly." Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, obviously. I got 120 properties by the time I was 27, and I'm going to share with you my system. Mm. Beware, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very boring. I was like, I, I stopped years ago. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I don't yeah. need to keep buying. Yeah, but I mean, it's yeah. like you know, media kind of mm. perpetuates it. You know, it's like you know when you got a business. You know, how many staff have you got? Like, it's the yeah. first question. It's like how well, many? How many listeners have you got to your podcast? Well, that's how right. Many downloads. Seventeen thousand. No. Um, <laughs> but, we love um, every single one. I don't care. There's only hundred of you. Yeah. <laughs> but where do you think that comes from? You know, is it? You know, is, there's obviously property educators out mm. there that push this quantity strategy yeah. and, you know, buy a property every year. You work with us and every year we'll buy mm. your property. Or- well, it's interesting. I mean, you probably all went to the same seminars I did back in, um, well, I think you're a lot younger than me, but back <laughs> in like 2001, 2002, 2003. I think you're younger too, Veronica. No, I think but- we're the same age. But I didn't go to seminars back then. <laughs> well, I was going to these seminars and they were like, and here's my, here's my gorgeous girlfriend and the flash red car, you know, I don't even know what people. Ferrari, yeah. and oh, yeah. you know, and this is my overseas wow. trips and things. I mean, I am so frugal. I buy a car every ten years. You know, oh, you that's are good. I'm just boring. Mm. So you know, it comes to, and I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. You've got a really flash car. Like, I'm thinking house deposit. What are you doing, wasting your money on that? <laughs> mm. And so you know, I, I think a lot of people have but that. Still happens today, right? I know. Yeah, it does. And it's not like we've moved on in twenty years. You know, all the marketing is still. Mm. pushed around this dream lifestyle yeah. and the yachts and the yeah. car. And- well, it's interesting you should say that because I actually um, went through and mapped what a dream lifestyle could cost. So mm. it's like what if I you wanted this. to have the, the holiday, you know, mm. every other year and what if you wanted to every have Every other them- year, I want every year, thanks. Well, 
you know, maybe domestic twice. one, you know, <laughs> one year, go overseas yeah. next year. And you, you cost this out mm. and you honestly, you know, look at um, what it costs to have this ideal lifestyle. It's around about 60000 a year. Oh, right. I need more than that. Well, <laughs> that's that's all the extra little special stuff. Yeah, but yeah. Sixty grand actually can get you to a very comfortable lifestyle, and adding in all those little extras you want. So, well, especially think, if you don't have to pay your mortgage, and that's you know, right. yeah. and, homes paid off. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it. You know, and and that's what smart hmm. investing along the way and being a bit frugal that will get you there. Hmm. And a and, plan, of course. And so, well, that's my kind of first thing is mm. that I, I wanted people to understand that vision and buy into that vision and then we work out the plan. But then it comes down to location for me. So you know, I talk about this 2% increment rule, trying to work out uh, looking at 10-year growth um, over years, mm. but looking at what areas have performed better and looking at a 2% difference between one suburb to the next to actually get some pricing pressure, which is the next suburb that's going to move in value based on the fact that people can no longer afford the So you're talking about the ripple closer. effect. Ripple effect, yeah. 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 So, you know, we're creating that ripple effect of, of almost the next hotspot. And so, you know, we talk about that. And then for me it's like a suburb to strategy match. So if your strategy is to build granny flats, you know, Bankstown's going to be great for you, but I don't really think you're going to be able to do it in, you know, Adelaide. So, you know, you have to kind of... You know, but is that a strategy? Not Blacktown, Blacktown, isn't it? Oh yeah, but but is that even a strategy? The Granny Flat. I mean, they, it gets called a strategy, and I, I have mm. to say the word strategy is banded around a lot in property mm-hmm. investment circles, and yeah. it always makes me cringe because that, in my view, is a tactic. Strategy is that you're trying to manufacture wealth Correct. in the property. Yeah. But quite often they get fixated on this tactic, mm. which in many regards actually devalues a property. Can that, do, absolutely. That's exactly right. My the, When you mentioned granny flat there, you know, my stomach kind of turns because <laughs> I actually I hear it quite a lot mm. and um, it really frustrates me because, you know, you go to these home buyer expos and, you know, 10 of the 20 stands are granny flat and we can do it for $80,000. We come on in, we don't need a DA, it doesn't need to be approved by the council, um, et cetera. Mm. And, you know, they promise this returns and people go online and they say, oh, I can get 300 bucks a week for this. Mm. Um, and then they assume that it's going to 100% be, you know, rent, rented mm. out. Um, but what they don't realise, they're devaluing the front asset by yeah. building the granny flat. Yep. Um, banks don't like it. Um, banks hate it. And secondly, when you go to sell that property, you know, the family market don't want to look at it because yeah. they say, well, I want that backyard. I don't want that mm. granny flat to be there. Um, and so granny flats can work if you're looking to hold a property for, say, 30, 40 years. You know, it's got very low vacancy rates. You know, you want an extra couple hundred dollars a week. It's a huge block of land too. Maybe it'll work. Yeah. You know, and, so- and I think there's the elephant in the room Here we go. around, <laughs> around the granny flats mm. is that mum, dad and the kids that are in the three-bedroom house at the front don't want the apprentice out the back with his mates turning up on the weekend. It's a completely different demographic who yes. lives in a one-bedroom unit compared to a three-bedroom house. So you're actually combining demographics that don't naturally coexist. Yeah, mm. live together in the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I agree. And I think that that's the thing. With, and also the biggest thing with um, – Granny flats is right. You have an opportunity cost because you have to pay for it, mm-hmm. like hundred grand. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to pay. You get the rent. Then the rent's fully taxable. Mm. So you know, even if you're getting two hundred bucks a week mm. after tax, you're making maybe six grand. You know, you've just take, paid a hundred grand for the granny flat. It's going to take a while to pay this granny mm. flat off. So, um, and, and in the meantime, your particular asset isn't growing at the same rate as other better assets in the same suburb. Yeah. And and I think, I mean, to be fair to the granny flat, I think there's so many <laughs> worries and concerns that we've just discussed, but it can 
be the opportunity for people to fit it into an overall portfolio and go, look, I do need some cash flow mm. asset here to help um, boister up the negative cash that I'm getting from a better capital growth area. So if people look at that big portfolio. It's true, although I'm more I look at this, I'm starting to think that, you know, there are other ways of getting cash flow Absolutely. other than buying property. And, yeah. and I yep. think that, you know, Let's be honest, I get really cranky at financial planners who won't talk mm -hmm. to their clients about property. And in the same way, I get cranky with buyers agents, you know, who won't talk to their clients about, you know what, property is not the be-all and end-all, which actually I've it's answered the question I was about to ask you, Jane, which is, <laughs> dare you to say something different. Um, <laughs> da, 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 do you da. think property investment is for everyone? No, not at all. And I think the other thing is that, you know, we are all exposed to the share market through our superannuation. There's 20... 25-year-old lads sitting somewhere playing with our shares every single day and we we let them do that with completely hands-off. Mm -hmm. um, the thing I like about property is that you have the opportunity to make the decisions yourself and come from a position of research and a position of understanding of, of how and where to buy and how that fits into your long-term vision. Now, sometimes property doesn't work and I have a lot of people, we talk to our community a lot about what are your biggest concerns and fears. At the moment, there's a whole conversation around cash flow. Mm. You know, so we're talking to our community around, well, how can we assist you in improving your cash flow? So my absolute vision for my community is to get them over their money worries so they can get on with life and live to their full potential. Property didn't mention in there at all. Love it. So mm. getting over money worries, I know that the wealthy build and hold their their wealth in property, but some people aren't at that stage. So if if I can assist people in um, learning how to budget or learning how to set up a online business or introducing to someone who has an idea about how to do, you know, I don't know, head leases or something on property, just a little bit around the market or, you know, for me that's my overall goal is to help people, getting, people get over their money worries because we know when we've done that and property's allowed me to do that, that the world opens up to you. Yeah, you know, you've got that freedom mm. of choice and you can spend your time with whom you want, when you want and doing what you want. And that's what I think. And, you know, just that intergenerational change that can be facilitated by people having the space to spend maybe more time with their kids yeah. or educate themselves better or, you know, contribute to the community. To me, that's, you know, why we do this. Yeah, and I think your point around cash flow is the most important part because, you know, for a business, let's say, most businesses go bankrupt because of cash flow. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly the same thing for investors. You know, even if they've got good assets, yes. if they can't afford to keep yeah. them and can't afford to make sure they can keep up with the repayments and, you know, keep up with the repairs, they end up getting, you know, you yeah. know worried and stressed and then they just sell. And then it defeats the whole purpose <laughs> yep. of investing is selling. Mm. Um, and so the bit, most important thing is actually just being really on top of your cash flow mm. and making sure that you can keep that cycle going. Mm. I was actually in the Uber on the way to the airport this morning and chatting to, to the driver, mm. as you do, and various things. And he told me that he lives in a rented place, but he's got two investment properties in the Sunshine Coast that he bought through his niece who works for a development company or a property investment mm. company. My, my skin was starting to crawl. But it's all right. It's in his super. So... And in his own words, he said, so it wasn't my money. Oh, <laughs> I just no. went, wow, isn't that interesting? Well, I had a taxi driver today, very similar conversation. He said, I'm buying my first home. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm off to an ANZ uh, economic briefing. I went to what's happening in the market and then I'm having a chat about property podcast. And he said, oh, I'm going to buy a property. I tried to ring a mortgage broker yesterday. He didn't answer my call. Can you answer some questions for me? 
I was like, yeah. Right. Person. I'm an Uber driver. (laughs) Did you put your meter on? (laughs) Yeah. I'm an Uber driver. I've been working for six months. I'm like, well, you've got some problems around getting funding because you've only got six months of this self-employed kind of income. We talked about that. And he said, what about my mate? He works in retail, but they don't give him pay slips. Now you can see the money going into his account. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's another problem around that. And it brings up this whole cash flow question. And I think we are at... You know, and I hate saying this because I seem to have said it for the last ten years. Like now is not, now is the best time to buy. Like, mm. and you know, and, and now things are going to get harder. And just coming from this briefing this morning, the um, ANZ and the Property Council every quarter do a report on the expectations of how hard funding is going to be, and it's the lowest it's ever been. So it has just come out. They believe things are going to get tougher. Right. And ASIC and the as in as in consumers <coughs> or the or the ANZ as in the Banks Bank, won't, right. will make it tougher for people to mm. lend. Yep. And there was a basically an announcement that's come out this week that have said that the banks can't give people credit cards unless they can prove to pay them back over three years. And fair it bloody enough too. This is a well, good thing. It is a good thing. <laughs> but what it means is that by July next year, all the banks in their servicing models will say that any credit card you have, you have to be able to prove that you can pay it back over three years. So mm. it's going to reduce people's borrowing capacity even further. Mm. Uh-huh. And we've already had that significant reduction. We're going to, going to go into an election where potentially we're going to have negative gearing removed and the capital gains tax changes. Mm. Now is the best time Absolutely, to buy. 100%. We've got people's confusion in the market that, you know, the market's dropping, you know, should I buy? I was like, well, if, it, if Sydney drops another 5%, let's just say, put it out there, it's already been up. Oh, God, 50, yeah. 40, well, 50%. But many we're talking properties 10 to 15 years. doubled in five years, many. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it was six years, they doubled over. Mm. Pretty and, and look, but let's not forget, Sydney is not one big market. It is a lots of little markets, and you yeah. mentioned earlier there's, yeah. there's micro markets. See, you know, I specialise in the 10K radius of CBD. I have an understanding beyond mm-hmm. that, but but certainly I, I don't encourage buying beyond that, maybe a little bit in the middle ring mm-hmm. depending if it's an owner-occupier. So the thing is, at the moment, I'm seeing opportunity, amazing opportunity. You can pick the eye teeth out of the market mm-hmm. if you know what you're doing and you know what to look for. Now, I'll give you an example. There's one particular suburb where one agent, a young agent without much experience, who has done a really good job at marketing themselves over the last five years. Mm. So they're a very popular agent and so they get a lot of listings. Mm -hmm. But they don't actually know how to manage this because Mm. they've never been through it and they're all Gen Y and Mm -hmm. none of them have ever, they don't have anyone that's got more experience working with them, right? Um, So their vendors are attracted to them for a certain reason. They they have these conversations with buyers and with vendors that are quite fear-based. And they they think everything's going to fall off a cliff because they're reading the newspaper and believing it as well. But they haven't been around long enough to know that these things happen and then there's a period of time and if you're in a really solid area, it doesn't really matter. If you've got a quality asset, A-grade assets are still getting competition at auction, people. So they haven't got that well-rounded exposure to the market to understand this. So. There's a, there's a street, there's two houses, 10, 10 houses apart. Both on the, One came on the market two weeks before the other one. The one that came on the market earlier was the inferior property. It's a semi. It was renovated around about eight years ago. It's got a real shithole next door, mm. next door to it, right? You know, long skinny block of land, right? Yep. The one 10 doors up, double-fronted, freestanding, you know, a nice level, regular-shaped block of land, slightly, slightly higher in the street, um, renovated about the same time, the same amount of bedrooms and bathrooms, but overall a bigger, better proportioned, mm-hmm. better house, 
right? We're talking in the mid ones value wise. Now the panicked agent sold the better house for only $45,000 more than the other one mm. within a couple yeah. of weeks of each other. And the buyer didn't realize because the $45,000 more one, it was a price not disclosed. Mm. So buyers don't have access to the same amount of information no. at the moment that they have before. And so there's all this sort of stuff going on. There's opportunity mm. in there. Mm. And this is what people who are fearful are missing. You know? God, you wouldn't want to be the agent though. So how do you change your tune? Like you go, oh, the market's going to crash. You've got to sell. And then, oh, well, open home. Oh, great time to buy everyone. You know, know. You know you've got to live this kind of double life. And, you know, no, and he, then your short term. His line, pretty much for every single property, is these people have to sell. Mm. They're really motivated. Yeah, it's all, all fear-based. Which is, I mean, and and it's real estate agents. We've seen it with property educators, the fear-based kind of, um, you know, you're going to die on a pension unless you do something. And, by the way, I'm selling you a property Mm. which is a, you know, off-the-plan unit in the middle of Brisbane or something. In in Townsville. In Townsville. (laughs) I think you really have to sit back and you listen to what people say Mm. and you get multiple opinions and then you use your own knowledge and research to come up with what sounds right and what can I actually prove that these people are saying. Okay, that's if you're not ruled by the elephant. This is elephant rider training, guys. <laughs> it's the little tiny rider on top of that whopping great big elephant oh. that has to go, hang on a minute, I need to just take a moment and do my research. And it's worth doing. It's mm. seriously worth doing. Well, I mean, this week's very topical because it's, you know, the 60 Minutes came out on, yep. on Sunday night. I mean, have you and, had this anyone- will go to, Hang on, this will go to air a, little, a few weeks after. After that, so that was Sunday night. Sunday so mid date? of September. We'll yeah, put it in. Yeah. The, we'll put in yeah, the links. We'll, yeah. But um, you know, it was a very big. You know, sixty minutes watched by millions of Australians, um, and uh, it got a story out there, right? I mean, Absolutely. did you watch it? Did you have you had clients talk to you about it? Yeah, I have had in our um, private Facebook group there. We have had a lot of conversation about this, and I think what's really interesting around this conversation. It's the first time I've watched 60 Minutes in about 15 years, to be honest, <laughs> right? So I have to put it out there. I'm, I'm um, not there. And 60 Minutes uh, earlier in the year had asked me to participate in a, a story they were doing on mortgage broking, and I respectively declined. But having since spoken to a number of people who appeared on the 60-minute report, mm-hmm. so, you know, Louis Christopher, for instance, 45-minute mm. interview that was cut down to one minute. Yeah. Mm. The statistician who talked about the fact that they said markets are going to collapse by yeah. 40%, he actually showed an entire analysis on four different options and wow. that being the worst one and that's the one they took. So this is, I mean, this uh, is why I would yep. decline being on those type of shows yeah. because I know that they for sensational stories mm, and yep. people who are sitting at home and their mums and dads and they're thinking, I want to buy my first property, this is terrifying. And the market it sentiment is. Yes. is very important. If we think about the fact that you know 50 to 60% of the GDP of Australia is based on household spending and confidence, the wonderful thing at the moment is we actually still have confidence in the market. Consumer confidence is okay. And most people are sitting on a position where they have more equity in their homes, mm. They, we've had terrible wage growth, obviously, mm-hmm. but we're at a low unemployment. We've got really low interest rates at the moment. People aren't feeling that much pain. And although there's this conversation around, you know, the market's dropped 2% across Australia, <laughs> the reality is there is markets within markets and that that's why location to me is the key. And, you know, yep. I, I run through 
all of these suburbs every single month. And so I grab SQM research data, look at over 8,000 suburbs. I put in just my top five filters mm-hmm. that are things around, you know. And I'd What start, are your filters? Well, mm. well, first of all, I'm putting price. And the median price in Australia is around 600. So 600 up to 1.2 because we know the yields are really low over that million dollar yep. mark. So yep. we're thinking in investors, 600, 1.2. I then look at um, percentage of renters because... Can I just cut it in for a sec? Why don't you look under 600,000? Well, I'm kind of looking at the median. So I do expand that out Mm. to 250,000 up to 1.2 million, but I know that's predominantly getting us into regional areas. Mm -hmm. Now, the regional areas are being more resilient at the moment than the capital cities that have had some um, negative growth, Mm. but... That's more due to an affordability play yep. of people moving to the Ballarats, the Geelongs, the, the Central Coast, you know, Newcastle, yep. Wollongongs kind of areas, rather than the fact that, you know, there's They're better that markets. underlying mm. market. So if I look at, say, 600 to 1.2, or even if I look at 250 to 1.2 million, and I look at percentage of renters. So for me, I want to have a, a property that I can rent out, and I want to have a property that is... Um, there's renters want to be there. It's about supply and demand. So I'm mm. looking at a minimum of 30% renters within an area. Okay. Do you have and a maximum? Yeah, <laughs> yeah 70%. Wow. wow. So I, I definitely, <clears throat> and, and and that does change in case the area is like units versus houses, so the mm. predominant property. So I definitely look at what the predominant property right, in the yeah. area as well. So I yeah. want to make sure the house is the predominant property. Mm. That's sort of interesting because one of the foundations of long, you know, long-term capital growth is owner-occupier demand mm. and willingness and ability to buy property in that area. And you look at a lot of these areas that have, well, suburbs and locations mm. such as Mining Town's classic example of, you know, more than probably, they probably had more than 70% mm. investor stock, I guess. Um, but where you've got that sort of critical mass mm. that if if all the investors evacuate a market, you've got to be left with owner-occupiers that can, can and will pay the money to, to live there. Mm. So that 70% is interesting that you'll say you go up to that. But on the flip side of that, because you, you meet a lot of other people that will say they won't go over 30% mm-hmm. um, investor stock, which I can understand that too. Potts Point in Sydney, for instance, is one of the suburbs. It, I think it has the highest dollar per square metre for apartments. Mm-hmm. It's a great place to live. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, ultimately it's my long-term plan. I want to live in Potts Point. Um, but there's 60, 68% investment property. You know, so so people who who use just figures without thinking exactly. through, and that's all units, though. Yes, and it's so. all units. So you know, even your guidelines, EO, you yeah. wouldn't buy there. But but once again, it comes down to that local knowledge. Mm. I'm sure you're getting to that, but I just had to cut in and say, oh, it's, absolutely, these guidelines are fabulous. And and it's and this is my first pass. Mm. Like yeah, I have yeah. a whole structured excellent love it. that yes, I go yes. through. <laughs> so this is a this is my first pass mm. of going through over eight thousand suburbs mm. that. Uh, major regionals and capital cities. Mm. So if I apply 250,000 and 1.2 million, I look at a over 30% yep. renters. I look at making sure that that suburb has actually met or achieved higher than what the um, city's average last yep. 10-year growth is. I don't want to be in you know, the outlier suburb that I'm predicting it's going to be the horse yeah. that comes from yeah. the back. It has to go yeah. better because everything I, else has. I want to see some <laughs> underlying demand yeah, yeah. in it. Um, I then want to have a look at vacancy rates, things like, you know, I want a vacancy rate less than 3%, now, which mm. is pretty much cuts out most of Perth at the moment, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes. but we're looking at, so I'm just looking at fundamental yeah. investment grade. And 
If I do that and apply that to over 8,500 suburbs every single month, I get less than 330 that I would start looking at all of Australia. Mm-hmm. That's fabulous. And then and so that's that cutting th- down to oh, less yeah. than 5%. Exactly. And yeah. so then I and then I move from <clears throat> there I start getting into more detail. So, you know, as an investor, I'm not going to go into an area that has 20 sales a year. You know, I have time that I want to invest in finding a property. It's not the next two years whilst I'm waiting for the mm. perfect property. So then I have some investment things. Yep. But I also then get back to yields and, you know, um, income in the area. So I have a, a huge criteria that I filter down to. Mm. But just to think, out of all of 150000 to $1.2 million purchase price, over 8,500 suburbs, we start with less than three fifty, and then we get into the detail. There's, you know... There's people out there who who will start buying around the corner because they know the market mm-hmm. or their well, taxi driver tells them it's a good idea or their financial planner tells mm. them they oh. should buy a property and they put it. Their accountant. Or their accountant. And, and this <laughs> is what upsets me. These people are at the pointy end of having the conversation of saying to people, this is your future and don't just go and buy a property because it's time for you to get some negative yeah. gearing or something. Yeah. The location is key. Yes. I know. I had a um a client, uh, you know, a new client. He had a financial plan from a different financial planner, so he didn't go ahead with the advice mm-hmm. of another financial planner, but he brought it along to the meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes clients have done that, not many, um, but I was like kind of had it on the table and I could see statement of advice. Mm. Um, and I was like, I want to look at that. I want to see what's <laughs> in that. And I could see the dealer group that they were licensed through. And I was so, you can pretty much quickly start to make some assessments, like yeah. where they're licensed, yeah. what sort of vertical integration, mm-hmm. what type of advice is going to come out. So, um, you know, I didn't just go for it and have a look at it. But, um, <laughs> you know, as the conversation went on, you I kind of. Yes. <laughs> I definitely did. And I was like, you know, and I think the client knew that as well. And so I said, oh, I can see you've got some advice there. Do you know, do you mind if I have a look? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so I. So, so I went through it um, and looked at the advice fee and the ongoing, how they were charging, everything like that, um, and went through the advice. And the advice was they had actually a good house um, and the advice was they wanted to upgrade. So the advice was to sell the house, uh, even though they had very little equity in it, mm. So and it was actually a good house mm. in a good location, had heaps of cash. Yep. So they could have afforded to upgrade it mm-hmm. uh, and keep their first property. Um and they had then, little equity, so they had a lot of borrowing in that property. Yeah, a lot of so lot of debt on it because they used an offset account. To yeah, the client, which so it's love, perfect, right? Yeah. Um, and but the client, the the advisor just made a decision. Okay, so the best way to upgrade is sell the house, buy this next house, and then go buy another investment property. <sighs> um, anyway, so I read through the whole advice, and um, it was a lot of property advice, right? Sell a house, yeah. buy a house, yeah. take out a loan. Um, you know, etc. Even like use credit cards because you can get a small interest saving, which was a bit. Pointless. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I looked at the end. I was like, "Well, you used to buy a property at six hundred thousand was the advice and statement of advice signed off." And I'm like, "Well, where are you going to buy a property for six hundred thousand? And you know, and so there's a completely flawed advice. Yeah. What they probably should have done in, in this scenario is keep their first house because that was a great investment property. Yeah, yeah. Upgrade and see if they can do it. But you're right. Like it, it's just it's just worrying when people you know they give out advice like yeah. accountants. You need to minimise your tax, so go buy a property. But yeah. Oh, a negative gear, get a new one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and then it's like, well, then mm. what's where do you actually? They don't go that next level and say, well, actually, now these are the type of properties you should speak to. Here's yeah. some great and buyers the agents. Should look. Yeah. Exactly. And I think the other thing is, I mean, I've had occasions twice in the last week where 
you know, someone who's CEO of a very large company said, you know, our accountant told us to buy a property. Yep. We, we bought the property. Ah, turns out they got a kickback. It was a oh, new development. No. Oh. And, you know, but it was our first property. We thought we'd give it a go. So at least we've got one. And you I'm like, give you it don't, a go. And you, I'm don't like, you don't have give to. It a, oh. You don't not have to sacrifice your first property to experience. Like, mm. no. Know, let's help you shortcut this. <laughs> and then I spoke to another lady, the, their accountant said, go, go and buy. Brisbane's great. They got on the plane. They went to Brisbane by Sunday afternoon, fear of missing out. They hadn't found anything. Oh. So they headed off because a mate said Harvey Bay is kind of cool. Headed off to Harvey Bay, not even commutable to the Brisbane, Brisbane, you know, completely different it looks nice. area. And they bought. It's nice here, isn't and it? And it's done nothing. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, I, I hate looking at people's fact finders often because I'm looking at where they've bought. And I'm like, oh, you've bought in. Logan, I know what property yeah, uh, educator you follow, or you've bought yeah. in, you know, Gladstone, or you've bought. I do the exact same thing. Oh, and you no. know it, you know it, or you, <laughs> you've, read, oh, you've read this article in the magazine and because you jumped on it. Yeah, you've done this. That's one of the most interesting things about what we do. Um, so it's when clients come in and we, we sit down and we talk about what they've currently got and mm. where they've, you know, mm. how they made those decisions. And, you know, good planners, good brokers would do that and would ask questions. And um, it's so enlightening because when you see thousands of people's situations over many mm. years, it all starts to kind of all come, you know, mm. come together, doesn't it? And Absolutely. it's so worrying. And the story, the backstory is the really interesting bit. Like, how did you actually buy this property? Yeah. Um, you know, a client that didn't, isn't a client, you know, we, you know, didn't align on views, I guess, a couple of years ago and, um, you know, was doing a few different things and I kind of gave him my feedback and said that I probably didn't think it was a good idea. Um, went separate ways, that's fine, and that sometimes happens because, you know, I'm there to help and sometimes, mm, sure. you know, Absolutely. et cetera. Yep. Um, but I reached out to him last week because I was just going through and just thought. Oh, you thought you'd what... get him on, on as a dumbo. No, 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 no. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to kind of see what's happening and yeah. it was a similar story we said about Harvey Bay. Um, but it was in a different place of New South Wales and yeah, they'd been on holidays on a, on a summer and they bought a little house. Um, and it's three hours from Sydney and oh, it's, it's look, yeah. I've got a similar one. I mean, these people, we even had an agency agreement out to them. They decided after a long, long, long period mm. of talking and right about buying an investment property and given their stage of life and, you know, what yeah, it could yeah. do for them in the next 10 years and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then. Literally, you know, they got the agency agreement. We've even booked in our, our first session with them and all that sort of stuff. And then, oh, oh, we might have to put that on hold. Oh, why? And it was, they had talked to me about this property down the south coast of uh, New South Wales. Yeah. So about five hour drive from Sydney. Um, they talked about this property and, and they talked about one of the reasons that they hadn't bought an investment property before was because they're worried about risk, right? How can someone worried about risk with an investment property, then go and do what they just did, mm. which was to go down to this place, five-hour drive from Sydney. Mm. So it's outside that magic two-hour drive for starters. There's no commute to anywhere because it's not it's no man's land. Mm. You know, Yeah, it's a beautiful place to go on a holiday. You're not going to go that often because it's five hours away. They bought sort of on a, a riverbank of, a, of a, a little river rather than beachfront anyway. So it's like you know, I'd be going, well, what about flooding? What about mm. how many 
do locals live there? I mean, you know, what does the locals think about that? Is it mm. mozzie infested? Like mm. you, there's so much. Go to the pub. Go and find out what the locals think about. Oh, there is no pub because there's only like about 20 houses oh, in the place. And I'm like, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, so, and they're oh, risk adverse. Yes, they're risk averse, but, but that didn't feel risky to them. And they went off and bought it and they didn't buy the investment. They went, oh, no, we'll just not do that. Okay. Yeah, because I think around risk averse, sometimes people, if they spend less money, they're taking yeah, less risk. Yeah. And, you know, it's actually more risk Good point. It's by not getting a, a property yeah. that's cheaper, yeah. that's got less fundamentals. The reason why something is cheap is because it's cheap because yeah. not many people want it, right? Mm. And there's not a shortage of it. And so, you know, well, there those- is a shortage, but there's an even bigger shortage of demand. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hate, there's times in my year that I hate, I hate January oh. and I hate Mondays. And mm. I hate January because everyone comes back from holidays and they go, oh, I found the cheapest property on holiday. Mm. And you're like, mm, and you're using holiday money. Like we're all yeah. happy to spend four bucks on a coffee, but on yeah. holidays when they say $7.50, you're like, okay, it's holidays. Mm. You know, so you, you're in that holiday money <laughs> mindset and then all of a sudden you've come from, let's just say you come from Brisbane and the median house price is like 700000 six 700000 and and all of a sudden you're, you're somewhere, you're in Cairns and like, Four fifty. Oh, know, it's cheap. It's cheap. Oh, like, if this was in Brisbane, uh, we're talking about <laughs> yeah. February. And then Mondays. I hate Mondays because we have those people who ring up and go, "Um, bought a house on the weekend." Oh, <laughs> and yeah. you're like, "Oh, but we didn't get the pre-approval yet because you wanted to hold off." I know. And so you know, there's there's those kind of conversations you have with people, and you're thinking, oh, "How can I rescue people?" I, sometimes I feel yeah. like Germany, where, where I have all the refugees. It's like yeah. everyone who's got it wrong in the beginning, then ends up goes, "Oh, thank God, we finally found you." I'm like, "Oh no, it you know, such a shame." Yeah, you know, my worst day is Fridays for the reverse because I'll talk to them. I go, "You know what? I'm going to auction tomorrow. I'm just going to give it a go. But if it doesn't, <laughs> if we don't win it, we'll, we'll talk to you a bit seriously on Monday about getting some good help." And I'm going, "If you're already talking that way." You'll have bought it. Yeah. That agent will nail your feet to the floor and if you don't really want it and you haven't really set in your mind what your limit is going to be, don't go to the auction because the agent will run rings around you and the amount of times so I ring them on yeah. the Monday and they've bought it. And it's so hard to get self-control, right? Mm. Like you have to talk yourself out of it and because you get all excited, you start fantasising, mm. you want to buy something, you know, you've committed to it, now you've got to go through with well, it's it. it's consistency effect, um, isn't it? And you can't, it's so hard to stop yourself. It's so hard to, to in that in that process yep. there mm. to, to stop yourself. But that's um, why that setting the destination so important because yeah. if you can keep linking yourself yeah. to the future, does this get me mm. to my future quicker or does it get me in the time frame I want? And you go, yeah, in actual fact, that property five hours south is probably not going to do it for me. Mm. Then you can go, okay, I can walk away from this. But you need that's why you need to have that clarity of vision. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, as you supply and demand, and why I call it, you know, fish where the fish are biting. It's like. Don't go to an area where there's 20 houses. Yeah. You know, don't go to an area where there's not that many sales per year. It might be tightly held, but, you know, you probably are going to be sitting out waiting for a few years to get into it. Especially when you drive five hours to go to the auction <laughs> and even then the agent says, oh, thank God you're here. Oh, they've got a great opportunity for you because mm. the other buyer, they just didn't get their finance at the last minute and I don't know that this went on, but I bet it did. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You're, you know, just as well you're here, there's a great opportunity. The vendor seriously yep. wants to sell and you feel like you've got a bit of a bargain, but you've also driven all that way. You've done your building and pest yeah. inspection. You've done all those things. It's that consistency effect. You back. have, yeah, you go, oh, well, it'd be silly to go home without a property, wouldn't it? Well, that's happened. I mean, a client <laughs> literally did that 
sure. Was it last weekend or the weekend before? Um, in Brisbane, you know, and I spoke to him on the Friday, didn't have his pre-approval set up. And uh, the Which wife's... can now take 10 to 15 days. Well, luckily, right? so you we... know, we picked a bank and, you know, luckily we've got a good result. But, you know, and there's a few things in their situation like maternity leave mm. and things that, mm. you know, limit the amount of lenders we've got. But, um, yeah, bought on the Saturday. And, you know, I do think that, you know, A, he, he got a house, it's happy, it's great, mm. he's got a good area, he has bought a good property. Mm. The price, I'm not sure, Thank God. you know, et cetera. But... Um, I do think one of the things that were motivating him was he had to get back on that plane the next day mm. and mm. he had and he would have to make another trip to Brisbane. Mm. Now the cost of going up there one more time, mm. you know, three hundred dollars of flights, one in weekend. The big, in the big picture is nothing. In the big picture of nothing. But I do think that, you know, by talking to him that on that Saturday when he was making offers, mm. that it was motivating him just because he didn't want to make another trip up there. And you know what? We get a dopamine hit when we tick a box. Mm. <laughs> it's yeah. funny. I was speaking to someone the other day. Um, so, you know, go through the process, go at the borrowing capacity, and then I have a conversation around strategy and where can you afford to buy. And so I was having this where can you afford to buy question and what are you thinking about in this price point of, you know, $600,000. She said, um, I'm thinking about Newcastle. Oh, and your renovation's our strategy. I said, let's talk about Newcastle. And I said, and how do you come up with that? And she said, because we've got family there, so when I do the renovation, I can just have a shower around the corner. I'm like, no, no, you cannot buy a property based on the fact that you have a shower around the corner. So let's get high. Hey, look, you know, you could go to the gym. Yeah. But, so it was kind of, it was kind of funny, and it, it, she had a laugh about it too. She went, Thankfully. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And she was like, Oh, you're right. But I think sometimes you kind of you get into. Um, People, people go one or two ways. They get into the um, paralysis from yeah. analysis mm. and they do nothing. And I, I'm still having a conversation with a lady back in 2006 who thought the Sydney market was too expensive at 600000 love it. Yes, yes. And She'll be waiting a long time for it. No, now we're talking like she has to go 200 kilometres, you know, north mm. to get a property mm. that, that value. And then, you know, you have people who are like, okay, I'm going to buy, but you know, maternity leave, or mm. um, I've got a time frame. I want to have been before Christmas yep. because of the family, yep. or and they put this unrealistic expectation, mm. and then the agents see them coming. That they one's do. so common, that, and that is really. And I, 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 as soon as I sense that one, mm. I try to, you know, really bring it up, bring too. it up straight away, and yeah. say, look, I can, I can feel that you're worried about that you've got to be in this by Christmas, or that the baby's on its way or that you've already sold and you've mm. got to get out before settlement, <laughs> yeah. um, my advice is make a plan B now because yeah. yes. because it, you're going to get four weeks into the campaign. If you haven't got the right property, mm. yeah. you're going to buy something. You'll buy you, anything. And that's not the way to spend a million dollars no. or $1.5 no. million. Dollars. I had to, I've got a funny example, and it's happened quite a few years ago. This lady rang me up in a panic. She said, I've just been to the doctor. I'm pregnant. I'm like, that is Fantastic news. Like, congratulations. What did your husband say? He said, no, I'm ringing you first. I'm like, no, 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 go ring your husband. I said, but why are you ringing me? And she said, well, obviously we have to sell the unit and get a house. I'm like, it's okay. You can oh. live in a unit with a baby for a while. They don't move for a while. <laughs> and I was like, I thought, oh, that's – I'm obviously too involved in their life. That's just <laughs> but it was such funny. a good point though because um, <clears throat> it, it makes people a bit crazy, right? Mm, it's know? the hormones. And, and the uh, – you know, and kids <laughs> do. And – this is where people who don't really get property don't really understand that there's actually a living lifestyle need that yes. people have mm. with property and mm. they actually, that's what drives them to buy property. That's why property is worth $3 million. Mm. It's not because 
it's you know there's actually can give you any income from it or anything mm, like that it's because yeah. people value it so much mm. and they want to go and take out a million dollar mortgage etc and usually when it kicks off the most is when kids come right mm, and yeah. when the kids are young mm. and when they're uh, about to go to school and when they're about to mm. go to high school it's those yeah. life-changing moments yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Every week, we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing them a lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Jane, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. Have you brought a specific dumbo example for us? I do. I was having a conversation with someone at a barbecue. (laughs) And what else do you talk about at barbecues? At property. property. And uh, this lady was lamenting on the fact that she had bought an investment property in Point Cook you know, down south of oh, Melbourne. No, and Point Cookies. We did a episode of the show there. <coughs> yeah, well, I know Point Cook. Those people owe money due just, too just quietly, but anyway. Uh, so <laughs> development. So a lo- lot of development going mm. on their new properties. They had this beautiful home in Kew. And when you're buying in these new development areas where there's more supply and the demand and people aren't really, um, I'm going to say, loyal, you know, so the cheapest house around the corner that's newer comes up for the same rent per week, they're going to move, right? Yeah. So you're not keeping your tenants in a in a fast time. So this lady, they couldn't rent their property out uh, after a vacancy. So they had to move their beautiful home in Kew with their two little kids <sighs> to Point Cook because it was much easier to rent out the housing in Kew. No. And, like, the, the kids are at school in Kew. They're running backwards and forwards. It was just like a, a nightmare for a long <sighs> period of time. And the husband was saying, I told you so. We should never have an investment property. Yeah. And she said, well, I've learnt my lesson. So That's a what, hard lesson. What we're going to do is buy a unit in no! CBD. And I said, no! so, so tell me about how you've done this. So we said, well, we bought a house, so now we're going to buy a unit. So we've, we've learnt our lesson of not buying houses. And we bought out of town and now we're going to buy in town. So we've oh. learned a lesson. I'm like, no, the right. lesson is the fact that you have bought in the wrong areas and the wrong type of properties. Oh. And in actual fact, you're just repeating the accident you made the first yeah. time. Yeah. And she was like, and when we, I talked through, you know, the supply and demand that she'd actually followed in both of these kind of um, these property purchases and the one that she was considering, she was like, I never saw it. I just, I thought because I had got it wrong the first time, I'd just flip it on on the back. Yeah. You can't go complete pendulum from one extreme to the other thinking that the complete opposite of what you've just done is must be the right strategy. Yeah. Understand the fundamentals mm, of what went wrong mm. the first time. And I think a lot of people, um, they're happy to accept their mistakes and happy mm. to get the first one wrong. And the fact is we know you don't need you don't to do that. To. Not today. Yeah. And, you know, and the number of professionals that can assist people, but also the data people can do themselves yes. in doing the research. Yeah, I, exactly. You're trying to learn on the job, right? And you kind of go, I'll do this. And if it doesn't work out, I'll mm. make, I'll learn. And then mm. I'll do something else and I'll learn. I know, now, these are expensive mistakes yeah. to make. You don't really need to be making these. And um, I love that logic because people do place these kind of logic on their decisions, right? They mm. go, I made this decision because of these reasons. Um, those reasons might be wrong. Mm. And yes. uh, you've got to be careful what you're basing, even though you might be in your head thinking it makes a lot of sense, you know, which it does, right? Mm. Buying the city, people want to rent in the city. I'll mm. buy a little apartment in the city. Mm. There'll be no problems. Um, exactly. And oh. uh, obviously it doesn't work like that. I'm so. heartbroken for them as well because that that is a really classic example of complete and utter disruption when you get it wrong. Mm. And that means your relationship's under stress because you've got husbands saying we that was the mm. wrong thing to do when I told mm. you so. And you've got all the guilt that goes along. You know, she would be thinking, oh, God, you know, 
know, mm. I really feel guilty. I've dragged the kids away from all their friends mm. and different school and, and I'm not connected anymore so the, the whole family's isolated. So you can just actually see the oh, psychological and the family pain that is created through a, an ill-advised decision. And in reality, even moving there, sell the frigging thing, cop the loss rather than completely stuff up, yeah. you know, you know, it's compounding and, the the um, mistakes, and, and and I think it kind of uh, brings up another thing that is you know not talked about often, and that is the fact that there's a lot of people who are feel like they're on the journey by themselves and not with their partner. Mm. And, yes, and you have this kind of conversation where I have to justify this because hubby doesn't really agree with it, or you know he's given me the the permission to go yeah. and buy, but I can't get it wrong, or. Or my wife's not really interested in this, but if I get it wrong, it's our nest egg. Mm. And you know that once again about setting that destination, you need to do it together because this is this is like we're all in for our future. Yeah, I mean, I very initial years in advice, I would very common just have it with one partner, and mm. you know, I would just because they would say, "Oh, you know, I take care of this. You mm. know, I'm the money mm. guy, yeah, and yeah. wife doesn't." I don't do that anymore. Mm. Now I, you know, very quickly have a conversation initially with one mm. one side, but then if we have a meeting, both mm. both have to be Same there. Same here, absolutely. And, I um, agree. You know, and if if they kind of push back, um, you know, I'll kind of push Warning. back. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's but it's so much powerful, and it, mm. it's it's until you're actually both in that room, mm. all three of you are in yeah, that room. Yeah. You can see if the other person's not feeling comfortable. You can ask mm. questions. Um, because if you are making these decisions, you've got to be on board with your partner because, oh, you know, if, if things go really well or things go really bad, you've got to be able to go through it together. And It's um, got to be a joint decision. And, yeah. you know, it's even like with our business, we actually get our clients to fill in wish lists and regardless of whether it's owner-occupier or an investor, both of them always mm. because we want to know what their, their future plans are, the goals mm. and their lifestyle mm. and that sort of stuff, and we get them to fill them in separately. Ah, good. <laughs> nice. And then we have a meeting where we actually sit down. We, we do the research around that and amalgamate those two and look at, you know, obvious roadblocks and hurdles and mm. and, and also we can sort of tell if they cheated and, did, and one did it mm. or they did mm. together and we'll yep. actually send them and do it again. You know, yeah. we need to know honestly, mm. both of you individually. And, and I think a lot of people's concerns around property are completely valid from the position that they're sitting yes. in and the paradigm they're in. Dad mm. lost money once, yeah. you know, or my friend went broke or I've seen it all go wrong or I've read the media or I watched yeah. 60 Minutes and, you know, it's around a conversation that's open and honest. And I mean, often yep. with all of our clients and students and community, you know, I often feel like a counsellor because yeah. sometimes it's it's the conversation which is, you know, let's just get to the root of what this problem is or the, you Maybe know. Maybe they should break up. Or, or, or you Property get to, therapy, we call it. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you get to that point where they're, they're 50 or 55 and they think they've run out of time so they're going to make a quicker mm. decision on something that's riskier as Absolutely. a strategy because they've, they yeah. don't believe they have enough time in the market. Yeah. And they do. Mm. Yeah, I actually call that the danger zone. Yeah. Like it's exactly right. So it's, I you know, and this isn't ageist at all, but, you know, generally speaking when someone does get to their early to mid to late 50s, there's this. Speak well oh, carefully. You know, no, no, no. And it's just, if it's, they haven't made no, good no, no, decisions, no, no, they're going to get there. Well, they're, <laughs> yeah. now they're saying well, they've got one mm. eye. Oh, I've got mm. to retire at some point, and then they're all of a sudden they're becoming quite financially concerned, or they're putting it up higher on their priority mm. list, mm. and then they start looking at the numbers, and because they don't really understand compounding and where mm. their, you know, their money's going mm. to grow, they're going to save. Things are actually naturally will going it, to improve will if they invest in the right. Firstly, location. Yeah, and but secondly, this is without property. investing in yeah, property. Yeah, like yeah. this is just if yeah. they just kept paying off their mortgage, mm. which they're doing, and they, you know, the kids have now left, yeah. and they keep putting money into the super. 
they are going to get, mm. you know, make a dramatic change over the next mm. 10 years just by doing that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But they don't see that because they can't foresee that things are going to improve mm. just naturally. Yeah. Um, so they're feeling very fearful and they feel like, oh, we've got a big gap. Mm. You know, we need a million dollars in super. We've got 300. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to have to go rush out and invest. Yeah. And it's it's at that point in time you've got to be even more um, careful because your time frame might only be 10 years. You don't have time to get it wrong. Yeah, and um, and usually what happens is when you rush, you make a worse decision, Absolutely. right? Yep. And so I think that, you know, the, the property sellers out there, you know, that's the perfect one for them that. to target Absolutely. because it's like you want to retire in 10 years, this thing will, won't cost you much cash flow and, yeah. um, you know, you can sell it in 10 years' time and it will mm. double. Um, yeah, because so, doesn't all property go up in value? Yes, that's right, yes. Look, I reckon we've got... Uh, a topic here for another podcast, Jane. <laughs> another <laughs> it's, episode. It's just like sitting down talking to friends, really. I know. <laughs> I know. It's like over, over listening to uh, everyone's deepest uh, fears and desires. Well, you know, and this is what fascinates me about property and this is why we, we love doing this podcast mm. is because it is about the elephant. It's mm. the things nobody talks about mm. but also the subconscious and it's behavioural. It's human oh, beings and, and we live in these places and it's so emotional and we've got to, we've got to recognise that and, and give it the value that mm. it needs to be given in the whole conversation. So we really appreciate your time with us. Now, Pleasure. Jane, we'd love you to tell us about how people can get Hold of you. Sure. We'll actually put some links in the show notes too, by the way. And Jane has got a new a new course, I understand, in oh, location. Location Masterclass mm-hmm. with that suburb selector software in it. <laughs> <laughs> so that will save you. Uh, and I can tell you from my own experience in terms of I looked at some of the the uh, sources of information that Jane's been using and I think I might have to actually subscribe <laughs> myself. It will save me shitloads of time. I'm just being able to compare <laughs> suburbs quickly. But I mean, I've got an e-book on the number one mistake that investors make. So I'll Ooh, give you a copy the number of that. one mistake. So uh, we'll get that to you. But Buying you. Oh, I'm not, not going to tell you. It away. I'm not going to tell you. You have to have to check it out. That's but the punchline, is it? <laughs> absolutely. You know, head over to yourpropertysuccess.com.au mm-hmm. and uh, check out all the information that we have there. And uh, you know, I love sharing the information that I have. So, mm-hmm. you know, we we do a, a lot of um, you know webinars and and newsletters and things that uh, just give people good quality information or point them in the right direction. And I'd recommend going back to Jane's podcast too, which is Your Property Success, and and mm-hmm. listening to how many were there twelve episodes, 13, something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, she did interview me for one of them actually, but then never actually released it. <laughs> so. we, we, we we weren't that very good. I have to confess, we weren't that very good on that recording and that. And every time I go back and listen to the sound, we lose half of you. I'm like, we're going to have oh, to. Oh, that's again. why I thought it was your sort. Oh. No, not at all. She agreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been cut. <laughs> not at I all. I didn't make the cut. Um, technical issues. The, you know, Jane does in, uh, interview a series of amazing experts mm. and it's excellent f- foundational education stuff. So I mm-hmm. highly recommend people tune into those. As I said, we'll put the links for that and sure. other things that we've talked about and your um, new course in the show notes. Thank you. Oh, it's been Thank an you, absolute Jane. pleasure. Thanks for coming to Melbourne. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I don't mind Melbourne. Got to put my jacket back on. <laughs> right. We want to make you a better elephant rider and this week's elephant rider training is... Jane brought up a really interesting point, and that is about the importance of working together with your partner when you're buying not only a home but an investment property. It is really critical that you both are on the same page for lots of reasons, for the sake of your relationship, for starters. The thing is that if you're under pressure to perform, you are more likely to make bad decisions than if you're actually both on the same page and you're actually working as a team. If one of a partnership 
really, really, really is keen to buy a property and the other one is reticent. The one that's really keen in many ways will make bad decisions because they're worried about the implications. And, you know, having that clouding your judgment is actually counterproductive. So that's the one thing I'll say, elephant rider training this week, is to understand that you add an extra load if you like, to your elephant if, I'm really stretching the analogy here, but if you actually aren't dealing with these things and being open and honest in your relationship and actually got a plan that you're working towards together, the reality is that the elephant is going to be more in control than if you are on the same page. Please join us for our next episode when we actually interview Tim Heaviside. He's an auctioneer and sales agent from Melbourne. He's actually the auctioneer that we debriefed, if you like, in our very first episode with Simon Russell. Simon Russell, if you remember, was a behavioural scientist who went to his very first auction in Melbourne and it just so happened to be Tim Heaviside, who was a very well-decorated, if you like, sales agent in Melbourne. Now, we interview Tim because we want to find out how specific and how deliberate he is or isn't in terms of appealing to all the different behavioural biases that Simon identified. It's fascinating and you'll have to join us to find out whether he's conscious or unconscious about the things he says that influences buyers to bid. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.